and welcome back to the Music Matters Media Podcast. Today marks our 90th episode of the show. 90th. Wow, man. Every time we reach one of these milestones, it's just like, where where the hell did all the time go, you know? I know, Eric. I feel the exact same way. Time is flying by. It's completely insane. I can't believe we have reached 90 now officially. And what a better way to celebrate our 90th episode then by talking about Kendrick Lamar's fifth album in his discography also his first in the past five years I am talking about his latest Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers he gave us a double album there is so much to cover here Eric and I just want to make two bold statements i guess or they could be considered bold statements the first being that we are pretty much halfway through the year of 2022 and i wholeheartedly believe that the albums that have been released thus far this year have already trumped the majority of last year that's how i truly feel i think that the content that has been coming out this year since january all the way up until now because we're in June, that the first half of 2022 has produced some really hard-hitting albums across the board over several genres and really interesting material too at that. And I just feel, not that 2021 was a complete wash or anything, I'm not trying to make it sound like that because... As you know, we have our uh, year endless every year and I go back to albums of 2021 all the time, especially the ones that made my year endless because those are albums that I thought were really good albums and quality albums. So it's not to say that good music didn't come out in 2021. Good music will come out every year, but I'm just saying in comparison, if I were to compare the quality of material that we're getting and we're only halfway through this year we still have a whole other half to get through 2022 compared to 2021 in its entirety i think that 2022 is really killing it music wise and musicians are really upping the bar with their releases across the board this year well you're definitely right that was a bold statement And I agree for sure that the music that's been coming out in 2022 is exponentially elevated in terms of the quality. I feel like a lot of artists, for one reason or another, are really putting a lot of emphasis on making sure that the quality is elevated. And you're right, you know, 
this is barely the halfway point of 2022. We've still got another six months worth of music that we're waiting on. And, you know, just the thought of what that's going to be like. If this is just the first half of the year, then that's really promising. Right. Right. That's the way that I'm feeling. It's just even from the beginning, the very beginning of this year with the weekends album out the gate. I even said that on that episode, which please go check that out. If you're a fan of the weekend, we did an album review on Dawn FM. Spoiler alert. We both extremely loved it um, front to back. And I just remember saying in that episode that this is going to be hard to top. And that was right out the gate of 2022. And yet here we are, like I said, halfway in or barely halfway in. And you'd be surprised how much good material. And I mean, across the board, hip hop, R&B, pop, EDM, country. I just feel like everybody's bringing it this year. And this year might be hands down the hardest list that we are going to have to endure (laughs) in terms of what's going to end up on our year-end list. And I know I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I just had to throw that out there. And my second bold statement, which is why I said my first one, was for me personally, this might be my album of the year. Well, I mean, I kind of had a feeling you would say that, but at the same time, I didn't want to, like you said, get ahead of myself and assume that that's what you were going to say. I'm not going to go ahead and say that because, you know, I've been surprised in the past uh, in the past years we've done this. There's always been something that comes out, as you know, I'm sure, last minute oh, at yeah. the end of the year. And I mean, look that at, takes my spot. Look at 2021, even for myself, right? Uh, I thought that I had my album of the year in mind for 2021. And then out of nowhere, Adele, boom released her album right at the end of 2021. Same thing with Silk Sonic 2, by the way, which are both top-tier records, period. Not just of that year, but just in general. So totally understand. That's why I said might. This might be my album of the year, but this is 100%, I could say without a doubt, going to make my list. I just It's about where, you know, ranking it is up in the air as of now because I still want to give the opportunity for what is to come and all the surprises as you said that might be along the way between now and then but wow i mean i can definitely understand why you're saying that i i also said the same thing about a a previous project that was released earlier in 2022 not going to say what it is i'd rather wait until the end of the year to reveal what that is but i i I totally get you in you know making that uh arriving at that conclusion this early when something makes such a makes such an impression on you and it's really hard to deny that you know that's what else can you say but yeah this might end up being on my end of the year uh list in your case it might end up being your top spot i know this will definitely be on my end of the year list for sure not just because kendrick is one of my all-time favorite artists but i mean what an album i can probably say it'll break my top five i'll at least say that uh but listen, I mean, this is anybody's, anything is game, honestly, for the rest of the year. And so it'll be interesting to see what transpires in the next six months, what comes out, what ends up really grabbing our attention. But uh, because this is all about Kendrick for today, 
I mean, wow, what a masterpiece. I mean, it must be so nice to be one of those artists that has no bad albums to date and just everything that he or she releases is just, you know, near to perfect. I am so glad that you mentioned that, Eric, because when it comes to Kendrick Lamar, you have Section 80, his debut. You have Good Kid, Mad City, which is now a decade old, which makes me feel incredibly old because I remember (laughs) being in college when that came out. Me too, me too. I'll never forget (laughs) seeing Kendrick perform Swimming Pools Drink on Saturday Night Live. Such a banger, such a banger. Um, And then you have To Pimp a Butterfly that was released in 2015. You have Damn that came out in 2017. And five years later, here we are talking about Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers, his fifth studio album. And I can't wait to jump in. I think we should just get right into it, Eric. This album covers i just want to give a general overview really quick before we talk about side a and side b because as i said earlier he gave us a double album's worth of material a side a a side b totaling 18 songs so just as an overview he covers generational trauma and curses such as physical abuse verbal abuse molestation he tackles racism homophobia transphobia, toxic relationships, including with his wife and infidelity, while also including the relationship with his father and toxic masculinity. He talks about the depression and stress of being put on a pedestal by both being self-imposed and by his fan base and fans of hip-hop as hip-hop's musical savior of the 2010s and onward really and throughout this whole entire thing he talks about mental health and him seeking therapy so that's a lot that's a that in itself just going over those top we're talking about some heavy topics here we're not just talking about you know mindless music to party to and bump your head to and That's all fine and good. There's a time and place for everything in my book. But this album is extremely polarizing. And I will say that because it's going to hit different audiences differently. And it's a both good and bad thing, I feel like. I feel like, in my opinion, that this is Kendrick's most vulnerable album personally vulnerable because on previous albums of course we've gotten an inside look into his life and his family life and his roots but predominantly he's gone on to tackle bigger issues racism being one of the main issues of predominance and just injustices in general however when it comes to this record i feel like even though previous records have had heavy topics as well they still had more accessibility for mainstream radio play and for people to get into in terms of production in terms of delivery in his cadence um just like the overall packaging of 
those records and those songs individually for people to get into Kendrick's music. And I feel like with this record that it's going to be a hit or miss. It's going to be a hit or miss with people. And you might look at me like I'm crazy and be like, well, how could this record be a hit or miss? But then you're telling me that it could quite possibly be your album of the year. And I say that because despite it not having the same accessibility as his previous work, if you're an actual fan of Kendrick Lamar, you're going to stay and put this on repeat and take time to really digest and dissect everything that he's saying. And you're going to give it that time that it needs to fully absorb, you know, when you're listening from front to back. Whereas the casual listener... I don't think that they're going to have the same experience with it. I think that especially in the world that we live in today where if you're not extremely into hip hop and you're not necessarily the biggest Kendrick Lamar fan or go out of your way to listen to his music, I don't see people sticking around to fully take all of this in. Of course, I think that's a shame. I just want to throw that out there. I think that's a true shame that this might go right over people's heads. It might go over the public at large. It might go over their heads. If we all took the time to go through his progress on this album, it's truly phenomenal. But will people actually sit there and do it and repeatedly do it? Because you can't just, this is not a record that you could just listen to one time through and then think, oh yeah, this is good or it's not or it's a pass or he took an L. No, it's not a record like that whatsoever. When this record came out, I was there at midnight ready to press play. And I've been listening to it ever since. And the fact that I'm releasing this album review now and doing this show with you now and not right when it came out is because of that very same reason. I actually did this on purpose because I wanted to take the time to really give this album justice and the only way to give an album like this justice is to give it time you need time to sit with these songs and unfortunately in the world that we live in today it's a very playlist quote-unquote type of culture where people just listen to music and they just pick things based off of melodies or you know whatever they're they're looking for and whatever they personally deem to be good they'll grab and then the rest of it will be a pass they'll take a select few songs off of it and then they'll keep it moving so and i also do feel despite that even the people that do take time to listen to this record Like I said, it's very easy for this to get shafted if you're not willing to sit with it and put this one on repeat and really take time to fully absorb it because a lot of this can go over people's heads. So my main criticism of it would be that objectively, this is not a record for everybody. At the same time, I don't think Kendrick made it for everybody. He made it for himself which is what we're going to get into this whole experience today of both side A and side B and how we feel about some of these songs. I agree. I agree that this album is what's already controversial for multiple reasons, as I'm sure you know, as I'm sure everybody knows. But I also want to build a little bit on what you said and just 
you know, just touch upon probably the main point or one of the main points on this album, and that is that Kendrick is only human. You know, he's only one person. He can't be everything for everybody. And in that, in the spirit of that, you can expect him to talk about absolutely everything that's going on in the world right now. And I think maybe that's a reason for disappointment among some people because, you know, as we both know, there's been a lot of things that have happened in the past three years. And so maybe some people, when they went into listening this album, they probably thought to themselves, well, why didn't he talk about this? Or why didn't he talk about that? Or why did he briefly skim over this? Wasn't that important? And sure, it is, but this isn't really about what's going on in the world so much as what he's been through through the past three years. And he pretty much says that. He says, I've been going through something. 1,855 days. This is his story. Sure, you're involved in it. The world is involved in it. But this is all from his point of view. So it would be unrealistic to expect just one person to talk about everything that's important to everybody. And I think when people realize that Maybe that feeling of disappointment might get a little, you know, lessened, but I do agree in that it is a polarizing album because, first of all, it's very avant-garde, very experimental. You know, the music certainly reflects that. It's not your typical boom-bap stuff. I totally understand because I think people's expectations have been at an all-time high since the release of Damn. So for the past five years, people have been on the edge of their seats waiting for Kendrick to drop new music and I think he set the bar so high between Good Kid Mad City to pimp a butterfly. Damn, you know, he won a Pulitzer Prize for crying out loud for damn. So I think to the general public's perspective, I'll give the benefit of the doubt of saying that, of course, expectations are going to be high. And people are going to want for him to expand upon what has happened in the past five years however to that point um or going back to my point of what i was saying i feel like this album is also a lot less accessible musically in terms of production in terms of delivery in terms of how it's packaged as a whole it's not an album that you can just throw on and bump in the car it's not really one of those kinds of records or that you could just throw this on at a party maybe some select songs yes but in its entirety no and i think that in his previous releases as i was saying before is with his releases from before he was able to discuss and go through these heavy topics while having that kind of accessibility and that production value and that delivery where you're bumping along to it and it's fun to play at a party but then you think about it after the fact and you're like wait a minute this is actually some really hard-hitting stuff this isn't just some background party music or this isn't just some i'm gonna drive my car late at night and, and bump this because when you get down to the layers you know and you start going peeling back all the layers to it there's some really heavy, hard-hitting topics being discussed. But I think that it had that versatility that people were also expecting. And not to say that this album is filled with versatility, but I think it's just the way that it's produced and delivered and packaged. It's unlike anything we've ever seen or heard before from Kendrick. 
Yeah, it's very much a concept album. You know, concept albums, like you said, they will either go over very well or not at all. You know, uh, and that's why some people rarely are in the business of making them because they, they know that. They know that a concept album is something that's meant to be looked at as a composite and not something that's separate. But when, you, when you're somebody like Kendrick who, you know, always has something to say and it's all interrelated with everything else that he's already said, sometimes that's the only way to, to deliver your message. And unfortunately, sometimes you're not going to be able to get that to everybody. And like you said, if you're somebody who maybe not necessarily hangs on to every word that Kendrick says, but if you're somebody who truly loves his music, you're somebody who's loved it since his first release, and you're someone who absolutely absorbs everything he always puts out, you're definitely going to understand what the purpose of this album is, why it was made the way it was, and why you should listen to it as a collective whole instead of trying to just nitpick it and just try to listen to a song here or there or try to listen to it once and just be like, okay, I'm done. I think I've got everything. You can't do that, you know, because in absolutely every song on this album, there's like at least five things he talks about. It's not just like one concept per song. It's just so densely packed with so many different things from COVID to, like you said, generational trauma abuse of many different kinds and just different you know perspectives from different people but all seen through Kendrick's eyes it's a human experience and it's not something that you know you can just look at as an outsider and think that you figured it out I just want to give a shout out really quick to the features on this album because there are a ton of features both on side a and side b so I just want to give a shout out to you have Blast, you have Amanda Reifer, you have Sampha, you have Kodak Black, Taylor Page, Summer Walker, Ghostface Killa. That's all on side A. And then on side B, you have more Kodak Black, Baby Keem, Tiana Leone, and Beth Gibbons. So with that, Eric, let's go to side A and talk about side A as a whole what stood out for you, and what are your thoughts? I feel like side A is the more, I guess, widescreen, for lack of a better term. It's the more widescreen version of the narrative that's weaved into this album. He talks a lot more about what's been going on in the world. Sure, he talks about himself as well, but he talks about COVID. He talks about trauma from others, other people's perspectives. He talks about, you know, what's been going on in the black community. It's just so masterful the way he, you know, goes in and out of that, the way he will talk about the state of affairs in the world one minute and then relate it back to his own life the next minute, kind of just to show us that, you know, he's fully aware of what's going on. He's been watching the news. He's totally conscious of, you know, everything that's happening in our society to, to the people who think that he isn't, because I do know that, that was one thing that the listeners kind of were unsure about, you know, because they they saw that he was absent for five years. They're like, well, has he been keeping up with what's going on? Has he not been? And so I feel like side A is to kind of put that notion to rest. Yes, I do know what's going on. And here's the proof of that. And I also really love just the chaotic nature of the instrumentation on the first side, in particular, the song Worldwide Steppers. My God, I love that song. Just the delivery, the 
just freneticness of it. The production on that song is that's amazing. what I'm saying. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Production and I is love just his so good. Delivery on that track as well because that was something completely different from what we've experienced before in terms of his delivery and uh, the production on that song. And it's just so cool to see how he transforms his voice and his cadence and his delivery on different tracks to portray different emotions. And you're right, the production is just so fantastic, just the very rapid pace and nature of it, that bass line underneath. And I love that the song just talks about the fact, I could be wrong here, but this is just my take. I love that the song talks about the fact that uh, nobody's innocent in the world. Everybody's got some sort of darkness to them. Everybody's trying to atone for something. We all have a past. We all have things we're not proud of. We just disguise it better than other people, depending on who he's talking about, you know? That's one thing that I love about this record is that while this is Kendrick's most, in my opinion, his most vulnerable and personal record, and very much majority of it is very direct to his own experience and his own upbringing, I also believe that there are underlying messages sprinkled throughout as well that are up for interpretation depending on how the listener wants to, of course, interpret these messages, which I love that about his music in general. I love that you really have to be paying attention because if not, you know, it's one of those things where you can play a song two, three, four times and discover something new every time you listen to it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's just how I view that song personally. That's the message I got out of it. I also love, uh, you know, speaking of the concept of, you know, hiding something from everybody else, the song N95, because that's exactly what that's about, too. Those two are intercorrelated because, you know, N95 talks about just wearing a mask in public, hiding your flaws. It's got nothing to do with the actual N95 mask. And I love that it's a it's a fake out in that sense. You know, he uses that to draw in your attention. And then he gives you the message once you listen to that. And once he's laid the groundwork with that song, then he transitions into Worldwide Steppers and takes it a little further and talks about how not only do we wear masks in public, but it's also what we hide underneath that mask. That's also just as important. Exactly. And he talks about fake wokeness. He talks about cancel culture. There's a lot of themes that he touches upon in both uh, N95 and Worldwide Steppers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, yes, he talks about that. He talks about also being ca- being accountable for yourself, but also the fear of trying to hold yourself accountable and what that could bring. You know, he says that he talks about that fine line between wanting to measure your words, but at the same time not compromising yourself as an artist. And I know that that was definitely something that caused a lot of controversy, but when you listen to every instance that he brings this up, you can definitely understand why he does it. Uh, And to build upon what you said before about the features, I think that they are put to very good use throughout this album, in particular on side A. I love the song Die Hard. I love the way that Kendrick, Blast, and Amanda Reifer all work well together. In particular, Such a good song. And yes, I love how danceable it is. That's one thing. I do love that even though this is an avant-garde album, there are moments that you can take 
apart and say, okay, I can listen to this whenever, and Die Hard is definitely one of those songs. Yeah, I feel like this song, from Side A at least, I feel like Die Hard and Purple Hearts are two tracks that people will be able to digest a little bit better, and these will be able to be more accessible to mainstream and for people to just enjoy over this summer really two great summer tracks in general yeah absolutely and i love hearing blast's voice i i knew blast already going into this because he's featured on king's disease 2 on the song brunch on sundays he did a fantastic job on that so it was nice hearing him here again and to touch upon the other song you said purple hearts my god those two voices summer walker kendrick match made in heaven and then you have ghostface i mean it doesn't get any better than that yeah, I'd like to say that for both Die Hard and Purple Hearts, they are some of my favorite tracks on this album, just in general. But these features, you have to give it up to these features, man. With Die Hard, like you said, Blast, Amanda Reifer, her voice, to me, it sends it back with, it has like an undertone of 90s, early 2000s it feel does, to it. It does, it does. Same thing with Purple Hearts with Summer Walker and uh, Kendrick. And then Ghostface Killa, my favorite. That's my personal favorite member of the Wu Tang yeah, Clan. Yeah, yeah, we've uh, we've spoken about that before. I found out I found that out when we were uh, recording one of our previous episodes. I'm like, wow, really? That's awesome. His verse was one of the best verses on here. Yeah, and it's very much in line with who he is. I feel like he. I mean, obviously, he knows how to weave together narratives every bit as Kendrick does. He's a legend. But uh, one thing that's I think the common root between Kendrick and Ghostface is precisely that spirituality uh, component that they each have. And I'd also like to, you know, just talk about how multi-talented the other features are on this album, because Baby Keem, of course, contributes verses here and there, but he also plays drums on Die Hard. And you also have Thundercat throughout yes, this album as I well. Yes, I love Thundercat. So... You know, it's it's really awesome to see so many different collaborators coming together, so many different producers coming together. Of course, Soundwave is on there. I mean, he's been one of Kendrick's, you know, longest running partners. So it's great to see him on there as well. You also had The Alchemist, who was also fantastic in his own right. So, yeah, there's just so much to love about Side A. You know, the, the messages, the songs, the production, the lyricism. I also want to give a shout out to Sampha on Father Time. I loved the contrast between his voice in the chorus and Kendrick's, and Kendrick's voice in the verses. It kind of gives some light to what he's talking about in that song. And um, I'm a big fan of Sampha as well because he's been on other hip-hop artists' tracks. They've worked together before. He's been on songs with Drake before. So I love that he still has that same quality this time around on Father Time. Definitely a standout track. Speaking of Father Time, that song along with We Cry Together, they really remind me of the song You from To Pimp a Butterfly in the sense that they bring some very hard truths to the surface. You know, just very brutally honest. You know, sometimes you listen to it and you even, well, I personally at least, got goosebumps just from listening to just how, how how much trauma is in those songs, how much just heartbreak, how much conflict, you know, and that's something that's very real, especially, you know, within uh, the black community and just marginalized communities like that in general, you know, the 
the resistance to therapy, the resistance to processing emotions, that stuff is very real. And it's something that unfortunately, you know, is just very difficult to deal with. And I love that he's putting that on display here. Shout out to Taylor Page as well. She's an actress and she did a phenomenal job on We Cry Together. It felt like a hip hop musical almost throughout this entire song. It's roughly a five minute track that displays a couple going back and forth, their toxic relationship and the ins and outs of just the everyday of being in a relationship with somebody with that level of toxicity on both parties by the way absolutely and it it really is a very real musical representation of what an argument like that would be like because it's got all the trademarks of that you know you start out with something i guess relatively small and then the more heated the argument becomes the lower the blows become the escalation was insane throughout the entire track yeah and it's like the whole time you're listening to it you know, at least I personally felt anxious because it's like, my God, what what is this possibly going to end up in? You know, like, is there is there like a line in terms of like the lowest blow you can give? Before, right, because there's know? so much verbal abuse going on yeah, that yeah. you think it's going to possibly escalate until something into something physical. Exactly. And then by the time it gets to the end, it does turn into physical, but sexually. And it makes that plot twist in the end. But that's really to show just how toxic the relationship is, them finding comfort in the verbal abuse back and forth to each other. And that just becomes a sense of normalcy within that dynamic. Yeah, and as far as the intimacy of it goes, the reason why some couples engage in that is because that's the only time they're not fighting. That's the only time where they can find peace. It's the only time where they feel that closeness to each other. So it makes sense that after a huge fight like that, that's what it would lead to. Very true. And just on side A alone with the opener, United in Grief, what an opener that was completely just, if I can describe it in one word, chaotic. Yeah, very, uh, well, schizophrenic in the sense that it keeps switching from beat to beat to beat. So very masterfully done. I think, I think that this track was placed perfectly And first of all, everything is very much deliberate on this project, but this track was placed perfectly as an opener because this is the chaos that has gone on in Kendrick's mind throughout his entire life. And it's about his mental health and rushing through all of those emotions in one track. So I thought that was a great opener because you're really just trying to keep up with the song itself. And then you realize this is what he has been going through his, his entire life. So I do have a theory about why this is a double album. My theory is that this whole record is a giant progression throughout of him being in sessions in therapy. Yeah, I understood that too, because sometimes they'll say the number of session throughout the album. And also you've got, not for nothing, but you have Eckhart Tolle on this album, who is a German spiritual teacher, and he acts as Kendrick's spiritual advisor throughout this journey. And you have him occasionally going in and out, talking about the concepts of trauma. So yeah, you're definitely right. I do feel that in a way, this is sort of like a 
multiple weeks of therapy that are being played out across a double album. Yeah, this is just my take on it. I think that with side A, this is the beginning of his progression throughout therapy. So I think that the first half of side A is the reason why that it's so chaotic in the beginning. And then going on to side B, it breaks down even further. And then you get into heavier issues is because side A is masking what the predominance of side B is about, which we'll get to side B in a second. But just to my theory, I think the reason why side A, the first, at least half of it is so chaotic is because of him trying to unravel everything that he's experienced up until this point of his life. And in order to do that, he needs to really start breaking down these themes even further. And I think it's in general titled Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers is because side A, he's trying to sidestep these issues. Whereas finally towards the end of side A, going into side B, he has that breakthrough. And then on side B, he's able to fully come to terms with what happened in his life and put an end to these generational traumas and curses with himself so that way his daughter his son in the future don't have to go through his own experiences and that he doesn't carry that and pass that on for generations to come so even though it didn't start with Kendrick, of course, he wants to make sure that it ends with him. And by default, also throughout this entire thing, we find a guy who's just human. You know, he's just a human being. And I think that's so important to, to point out. That's one of the main themes of this entire record is just him being human and that he has made mistakes. And... He has slipped up and he has felt the weight of the world on his shoulders. But this is a man that went from resistance and trying to, as I said, sidestep those issues by masking them with other things, whether that be sexually, you know, which obviously caused a big rift in his marriage because of the infidelity factor and him not necessarily realizing the toxicity that he grew up with was being carried out in those relationships, whether that be with his wife or friends or onto his own children. So side A is just about uncovering all that and side B is really about, okay, now how do we move forward from this? after truly getting to the core and the root of these issues in his own personal life and having that not only vulnerability but bravery to put his foot down and want to make these changes and want to make a difference for his family he wants to save his family he wants to let his children grow up and have a different upbringing than he did and not pass these things on and lead them to believe that this is okay and that this is just a way of life and so side b is not about making excuses anymore and i just this record's so 
it's such a masterpiece. It's so unbelievably beautiful. It's heartbreaking in every sense of the word, but it's real. It's authentic. It's something that the world needs to hear. And I, the reason why I said it was so polarizing in the beginning of this episode is because people don't want to hear this kind of music. It's unfortunate. They don't want, because then that takes, and no pun intended, going, I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but going to mirror the last track on this album, that's what that takes. That takes looking yourself in the mirror and realizing, why, wow, some of these topics really hit closer to home than I thought that they would. And I just listened to this record to have a good time, or I just listened to this record because I love Kendrick. And then it makes people feel uncomfortable, but that's the point. The point is to make people feel uncomfortable because it is uncomfortable situations. It is uncomfortable topics. It is, it's not meant to be easily digested. It's meant for people to sit around and talk about these hard-hitting, heavy subjects and issues. Now, I get it. Is this a record that everybody is going to throw on, you know, at a party, at a cookout or something, you know? No, but at the same time, it's such a good record and doesn't take away from the quality of the record just because it might not be a record that you can listen to all the time. Of course, when you go back to this record, you might not be necessarily in the mood for some of these songs because they are so dark and because they are so heavy that's understandable but does that mean that the music itself is bad the quality is bad or that he fell off i i wholeheartedly disagree with that sentiment and you're right unfortunately some people well maybe not unfortunately because everybody looks at music differently but there are a lot of people who look at entertainment in general as a method of escapism, you know, they they use it precisely to get away from what's going on with the world, to get away from what's going on with themselves. And so a lot of them don't like it when they find even more of that human experience within the art form because they're like, I came here to feel numb. I came here to get distracted, to get away from it all. Why is this still following me even here? So if, if you're that kind of person who's looking for an escape from all of that, in Kendrick's music, he's not your guy because he's dealing with his own demons every bit as much as, as you are. And he's just trying to put that out there because, you know, one thing that I've always felt about him, especially after, you know, I, I also have a theory of my own and I'm, I'm thinking that ever since To Pimp a Butterfly came out, he's been trying to hint at the fact that he's unsatisfied with what his fans have made him out to be, which is this larger-than-life messiah kind of figure. Oh, yeah. He's so unsatisfied with it because he tries to be so many different things to so many different people, not just to his fans, but even to people in his own life. He tries to be, you know, a good person. He tries to be a provider. He tries to be a source of inspiration. He tries to be so many things. But who's worrying about him? You know, who's asking him, how are you doing? How have you been? How are you dealing with all this stuff? Are you okay? And so because that's not happening, that's why he feels the need to pour so much of who he is into his art form. And I feel like this is something that he's hinted at since To Pimp a Butterfly. He started to talk about the survivor's remorse that he felt by being famous and by being away from his community. And I might be reaching here, and <laughs> that's just my theory, but it's, it's the way I like to look at it. Even on the song King's Dead, 
off of the Black Panther soundtrack. In the end, at the end of the song, he says, I'm not your father, not your brother, not your reason, not your future. I'm not the title you want me under. That's an elaboration on that. You know, I'm, I'm not any of these things. I'm just one person. I'm just one human. You know, I'm, I'm not a savior and I'm not pretending to be. And this, I feel, is the most explicit statement of that. This entire album. This is him, you know, pretty much confirming what he's always alluded to. You know, I, I don't want to be everybody's, you know, idol that they've put on a pedestal. I just want to be me. I just want to be a human being. And it sucks that I have to go away for five years in order for people to understand that. He has had the weight of the world on his shoulders, not only because of everything clearly that has gone on throughout his entire life and everything that he's been dealing personally throughout this time, but exactly as you said, he's been put on this pedestal, especially in the hip-hop community, as one of the greatest lyricists of all time because of his near-flawless catalog up until, you know, this point, People have put him in the conversation with some of the greatest of all time. And that puts a lot of pressure and a lot of weight on an artist that constantly feels like they have to outdo their last record. Yeah, and building on that point and segueing into side B of this album, Perfect that's, exactly, segue. that's exactly what the song Crown is about. There's a Shakespeare quote that this song is named after where it says, uneasy is the head that wears a crown, which has also been reinterpreted as heavy is the head that wears the crown. So you can definitely get that from that entire song. He's talking about that responsibility that comes with being somebody larger than life to so many people and how that unfortunately has made him go through a lot of stress more than any one person can handle. Yeah, Eric, I think that that was the perfect transition to side B because we can even discuss Savior being on that same hitting the nail on the head with that topic featuring his cousin Baby Keem of him explicitly saying (laughs) that he is not hip-hop's savior and to stop putting your favorite rapper's or just in general, your favorite celebrities on this pedestal, that they are something or anything more than a human being. And I love Savior. It's one of my favorite tracks from Side B because of the topic of him just wanting to be human and rejecting that pedestal that people have put him on over time. Yeah, absolutely. And to me personally, that song is not just about the pressures that come with being a spokesman because he also does say exactly what you said he's flawed every bit as much as the rest of us are he also has a hard time coexisting with his fellow men and women in this country just like the rest of us do and so because of those flaws he does not see himself as being above anybody else and because of that he doesn't see himself as having to be anybody's spokesperson or savior or what have you because he's not exempt from any of the things that you know we are and to me this song is also just about hypocrisy in general he points about the hypocrisy of blacking out your screen when somebody dies just because you want attention just because you want to be part of something he talks about the hypocrisy of railing against 
vaccines until you yourself get COVID. He talks about all of these things because he realizes that it's just such a problem in this country, you know, to... And again, this goes back to the concept of masks, right? You portray yourself as one way in public, but secretly you're kind of, yes. you know, sub subject to change. Yeah, going back to N95 really quick from side A, same concept there where people like to portray themselves on the internet, specifically social media, as one way. Very materialistic very flashy very i got it all under control i'm living large when in all reality nobody can live up to those expectations on a day-to-day -day basis or at all across the board you know and i've said that so many times especially on here that people cannot be going on social media and comparing themselves to other people that they see, it is not good for your mental health to just view somebody else's highlight reel of their best moments. Or better yet, going back to N95, these manufactured moments, because half the time it's not even real, where these people are truly miserable in their personal life, but portraying to have it all figured out, portraying success, portraying happiness, portraying a uh, great love life or this lavish lifestyle, whatever it may be. And I like that N95 and I also like with Savior, he wants to just take that mask off and just reel back that curtain of reality and basically remind people that it's very much sickening how we put so much weight on such stupidity superficial and materialistic things that really don't mean a thing kendrick is not impressed by that nor should you be really the core of your character is who he's trying to find out of who you actually really are and and that's what matters to him and that's what should matter across the board but unfortunately we live in a society today where it's very much revolved around all these principles that people think that they need to be super flashy and constantly being on social media braggadociously about what great life that they're living and you know kendrick is just pointing to the reality of the situation that nobody 24 7 365 is living this life and uh, even the 1% that is, are they really truly happy? Most of them not. So, yeah, I love uh, tracks like these. Yeah, and I think the if there's one message that you could pull from this song, it would be to let go of your pride. I think if there's one thing that you can extract from everything that Kendrick is trying to tell you is that it's okay to admit that you're wrong from time to time. It's okay to admit that you don't always have all the answers. You're not always going to be right. And in the event that you're wrong, it's better to admit it because you'll come off as a bigger person instead of just, you know, trying to hide it from the world. Sometimes it's it's okay to be wrong. There's nothing wrong with admitting that you're wrong. In fact, it's better if you do. It's better on your mental health and you just come off as being a bigger person because of that. And as for what you said about, you know, the 365 days a year, he mentions that as well. He mentions that some people, a protest is just a chance 
to get attention. I love whereas, that line. I love that line. Whereas for the black community, 365 for me, the whole year is just one big protest. And Isn't that the truth? Yeah. And so I think it's really great that, you know, he touches upon all these things, but specifically about that, you know, double standard two faced nature of humanity. And that some people have the privilege to just throw up a black square on social media and make it look like to the world that they care and that they're in unity with the black community. Whereas that's literally the only thing that they're doing. And it's for people to notice that and for them to get the recognition for it, which is totally not the point. <laughs> yeah. And speaking about sad realities, going into side B, we have quite, as I said earlier, the heavy hitting topics here. We have songs like Auntie Diaries. We have Mother I Sober. Whew. Yeah. That song, Auntie Diaries, hits close to home for me because, you know, listening to it, I teared up a bit because one of my really close buddies from college is a female to male transgendered individual. And, you know, we've talked about what that was like for him to deal with back then, how, how you know, far he's come since those days where, you know, he knew something didn't quite fit. And it just really makes me tear up inside, like just knowing what kind of experience this person went through, you know, in his younger days and what that must have been like. And just trying to look for anybody who would get it and, you know, just understand him and not being able to find anyone and just having to be to yourself within yourself. That's not easy for anybody to go through, much less for you know, someone like him or somebody like Kendrick's son in, in the context of this song or his cousin for that matter. So this song specifically has been extremely controversial on this album. Do you agree with the use of the F word throughout this song? How do you feel about it personally? What do you think that Kendrick was trying to portray with that. I have my own opinions. I want to ask you first and then I'll jump in. So what I think he was trying to do with the use of that word and again as with every as with every theory I've presented throughout this episode I could be wrong, but this is just how I take it. I'm not trying to justify the use of the word, mind you, you know. Uh to me a slur is a slur, you know, no matter how you use it. And if you're going to use it for the sense of trying to educate someone, you have to preface your use of the word with that kind of disclaimer. If, if you know, you kind of understand what I'm saying. But uh, to me, what Kendrick, the reason for having used the word six times, as far as I know in this song, is because way it was... Way more than six times. <laughs> way more than six times, yeah. okay. Uh, the reason he used this word is because he's recounting the times when he used it, when his childhood friends used it, and he's basically saying, we didn't know any better because we were young, we were ignorant, and so this was the way we talked. But he's also at the same time, by the end the song is over, saying that his cousin taught him that no matter what context you use it in, no matter if it's just a word to you, if it has no meaning to you, it's still a slur. It still affects somebody else, even if you yourself are not affected by it. And what I love that Kendrick does 
is he brings up this incident towards the end of the song where he was doing a concert. He brings up this fan on stage. Have you stage. seen that video? I've seen it, yes. Yeah. He brings up this fan on stage. They both start singing the intro to Mad City. She says the N-word right along with him. He has an issue with it. She's white. Yes. And she says, uh, and I'm quoting here, I'm used to singing it like you wrote it, bro. That was her response to Kendrick taking issue with it, but, you know, they, they resolved it. The point is, he brings up this example because he says, you know, why, how is it fair that I get offended when somebody uses the N-word, but yet I can turn around and use a slur, even though it doesn't affect me? Like, it's, if, you know, if one slur is offensive, then the other one must be. All slurs are offensive. It doesn't matter, you know, whether they affect you or if they don't. It doesn't matter what context you use it in. A slur is a slur. That's, in my opinion, what his message is. And that was his reason for having used the F word so many times in the song. It wasn't so much to just use it. It was to elaborate on the fact that he, as a kid, didn't know any better. He was ignorant. He used it without knowing what the, you know, consequences of it were. But at the same time, he's saying, I've grown since then. And I know that I was wrong. Right. So just to jump in here, because I 100% agree with what you just said, that was the whole point of this entire song was to discuss his own personal experience in his own family with somebody transitioning, two people transitioning actually, and how ignorant he was in the past and how he didn't realize how much weight that word held towards the people that it was affecting. And it's extremely hypocritical for him to feel that way against that fan that he brought on stage and i said that she was white just because of context because it was the n-word and yeah so that's the whole point of the song and i feel like people that don't take the time to listen to the song in its entirety are just taking they're either just reading an excerpt from the song that specifically zeroes in on the f-word being used and the f-word that we're referencing for uh, those listening who haven't listened to the song yet, has to do with the homophobic F word. And so I feel like people are just reading that based off of articles online and or they're listening to the song and just zeroing in on that and not really putting in the context of the overall message. Yeah, yeah. And one thing I had an issue with in particular, uh, I don't know if you've seen this at all, but, you know, obviously you and I agree that there's a lot to unpack throughout this album, throughout the song, right? Some people, they kind of just brushed off what uh, the song was about. They didn't really brush off what it was about, but they brushed off the multi-layered aspect of it. And so they were like, there's nothing or there's not much to unpack here. This is simply just a, a love song that, you know, he wrote to his aunt and his relationship with her. And so then I had to step in and I was like, well, you know, maybe to you it's not a lot to unpack, but to him it certainly was. This is monumental we're yeah. talking about. We are talking about not only his personal relationship with his aunt and his personal relationship with his cousin, who both transitioned, but just for hip-hop in general. Yeah, and you realize... Having, having an artist in hip-hop specifically, a genre where a lot of these themes, as we've discussed They were a big no-no at one point. Big no-no. There's homophobia, transphobia running rampant, a lot of toxic uh, masculinity, a lot of generational things that are just not okay. Yeah, just a lot of vitriol. I applaud Kendrick for bringing these topics to light 
and for doing so through his music and pushing and moving the dial forward. And I think that Auntie Diaries, Mother I Sober, Father Time, We Cry Together, these are all songs that are extremely advanced for hip-hop in general to have these conversations and to make people feel uncomfortable and to really hit the point home of what nobody really wants to discuss and breaking that cycle. And that's exactly, that's what's so funny about the guy who said that. He basically (laughs) portrayed himself as an example of why you should listen to this album multiple times. Because it's so easy to say, there's nothing much here in this song. He's not really speaking about much. It's just a love letter to a family member. No, unless you have been in it yourself, you know, obviously you're going to have that outsider's point of view. But for Kendrick, this was the most soul-bearing he's ever done on an album so even though this guy to him it was just a song to kendrick this was one of the most vulnerable times he's ever been in his life some people are just zeroing in on the f-word exactly though, and the repeated and use and that's of the, the problem F-word, you know which is unfortunate because then the rest of the message of the song gets completely exactly. lost exactly because then the conversation focuses more on his use of that f-word versus the underlying meaning which to me the progression throughout the song and just what he was trying to portray, not only in hip-hop in general, but just in society, it went from the tolerance, quote-unquote, of transgendered people to acceptance mm-hmm. and unconditional love. Yeah. And not even just, you know, it started out with him being ignorant as a kid, not knowing any better than just tolerating the circumstances to fully trying to understand, put himself in their shoes. And that's where the acceptance comes in. And he did the same thing going back towards the end of that song with that fan that he brought on stage when she was trying to rap the song along with him. And because she's white and she was dropping the N-word, of course, he took offense to that. And the whole crowd turned on her and... They had to talk about it offstage. I don't really know what happened behind the scenes, but it turned into a viral moment and this big ordeal about her going up there and singing the N-word in the song, even though she was just trying to sing the song along with him. So then it becomes a conversation of, well, when are we allowed to say it and who's allowed to say it? And and the whole point of the song, if you listen up into the end, is that it should be a no across the board exactly. for both of these words. Exactly. Words do matter, and words do have an impact. That's the message of the song. You know, they may not affect you in the same way as they affect someone else, but they do matter, and you have to be mindful of that. Now let's transition to Mother I Sober, another heartbreaking song to go through, and then this song covers the topics of deep generational trauma with his mother and himself the physical abuse the verbal abuse the molestation eric this was oh man if this is a real tearjerker it is it is it definitely made me tear up every much as you know auntie diaries and again you know it's very multi-layered a lot of different scenarios in this song but the 
root of the message is you need to let those emotions out. You need to process them. You need to allow yourself to feel them. No matter how uncomfortable they are, no matter how heartbreaking they are. And he says it, you know? He says it when he says, you ain't felt grief till you felt sober. You need to be able to use all of your senses to get that out. You can't, you know, suppress it or turn it off. Throughout this album, he also talks about masking his pain through whether that be sexually, by Mm -hmm. the infidelity. Sex, money. Money, drugs, alcohol, and anything that he could possibly do to distract himself and numb the pain that he was going through. Exactly. And in order to move forward to a better place in your life, sometimes it's going to be more difficult before it gets better. It just has to be that way. You have to put in the work. You have to dig deep into why you are the way that you are and what made you that way. And in order to do that, you have to go all the way back and experience, or I should say re-experience everything along the way and be the most vulnerable that you've ever been in your entire life and transparent in order to move forward. We need to unpack all this in your past. Absolutely. And that's what this entire album is about. Yeah, because the more you suppress it, the more it just becomes a cycle throughout your life. It becomes a recurring theme. And even Eckhart says this at the end of the song, Mr. Morale. He says, people get taken over by this pain body because this energy field that almost has a life of its own, it needs to periodically feed on more unhappiness. And that's the cycle they're talking about. You need to allow yourself to get inside yourself get those emotions out, process them, feel them. It's going to suck. It's not going to be easy. It's probably one of the most difficult things that you can do as a human being to really let those ugly truths about yourself out or about your life out. But in the long run, as Kendrick has shown here, that's the way. That's the way forward. We're getting down to the root of what has made Kendrick the way that he is today. I love the fact that he has his breakthrough on side B, and I love the fact that even on going back to Mother I Sober, by the end of the song, you hear his child saying thank you with the mother of his child, uh, Whitney also saying, say thank you, daddy, thank you, because by the end of the song, coming to that realization that I'm doing this for you guys, I'm doing this not only for myself, but for my family, for the generations to come, I'm ending this here and now, I'm confronting it head on, and I'm putting in the work for not only myself, but for the future generations, for my children to have a chance without going through the same things that he went through and not exposing them to that type of behavior and breaking that cycle. So that's what's beautiful about Side B. It's all about breaking the cycle, which was prepared for on Side A. Yeah, and it's also somewhat about being selfish. Now, I don't mean selfish in the sense that, you know, you uh, don't care about anybody else. Because, of course, Kendrick does. I mean selfish in the sense of preserving your sanity, preserving your own mental health. Because at the end of the song, he says, I'm sorry I didn't save the world, my friend. That's on Mirror, yeah. Yes. Uh, He says, I'm sorry I didn't save the world, my friend. I was too busy building mine again. And that's about that self-preservation. It's about taking the time to take care of yourself, even if it means letting a couple of other people down 
Same thing going back to Crown with that yeah. same sentiment yeah, where he repeats, I can't please everybody. He just mm-hmm. has that on repeat throughout yeah. Crown. I can't please everybody because he's coming to that realization that in order to get his mind right, get his life right, get everything back on track, he needs to let go of the notion whether, because I know this could be debated, whether it was self-imposed or whether it was imposed by the public at large, everybody that was a fan and continues to be a fan and people in hip-hop, or whether it's a fusion between the two, which I would like to believe, whatever it may be to take himself off of this pedestal and to basically come out and say, I'm a human being, I'm not going to be able to please everybody, I need to really focus on myself and get my mind right and my self on track and you know going to to mirror the last track the closing track of mr morale and the big steppers where he looks at himself in the mirror and finally he sees a man where he can smile back because you start the album with united in grief which is just complete chaos and then to end it with mirror that was a sigh of relief letting the weight of the world off of his shoulders and having that release and taking solace in saying I'm okay with not being your uh, hip-hop messiah if you will I'm okay with not being put on this pedestal I'm okay with not being able to please my wife my fans my children so on and so forth because I'm just a human being right at the very least he is starting a new chapter of his life by arriving at this point and also he is allowing himself to take back control of what he wants to do with his life how he wants to move forward and knowing kendrick he is too you know powerful or unstoppable to you know allow himself to be dethroned as king but at the same time just because he still wants to hold on to that title that doesn't mean that he's not going to do it his way he's not he that that doesn't mean he's not going to take care of himself that he's going to take a break whenever he needs to exactly i think now moving forward he is going to treat his career a lot differently than up until this point i think he's grown i think that he's put in the work in therapy and he probably continues to do so Mm -hmm. and i think moving forward for his own mental health mentally physically for the sake of his family whether that Mm -hmm. be just his family at home with his wife and kids or you know his cousins etc everybody involved i think that he finally realized what he has to prioritize and to let go of that notion that if i'm not constantly crafting the most perfect or what you know subjectively what he thinks is the most perfect album for his fans that he's going to disappoint everybody across the board and i think he's just let that notion go and i think moving forward this is the turning point for him yeah absolutely and you know just really quickly before we segue into our top fives i would just want to say that this was another you know just master class in lyricism production total masterpiece of an album i know that before it was you know, constantly teased and he would say, it's coming, it's coming. And then it didn't. But 
we got a double album's worth of just so much material. It was definitely something that needed to be said. It Not everybody may like it, but that was the point. And he's putting it all out on the line. And it wasn't created for us, realistically. It was created as his own musical catharticism. Yeah, and it's you're right. It's the closest that he's going to allow us into his head, at least for the time being. And, you know, just like any other artist who needs to exercise his or her demons and really put them out in artistic form, he absolutely achieved that. And I think he achieved just a little bit more with this album. All right. So, Eric, on side A, what were your top five favorites? No particular order, just in general. If you could choose five songs that you would repeatedly go back to, which would those be? Die Hard, Father Time, United in Grief. Purple Hearts, and Worldwide Steppers. Awesome. So my top five favorites on side A would be, in no particular order, it would be N95, Die Hard, Father Time, Rich Spirit, and Purple Hearts. Wow, that's awesome. I'm Wow, that's pretty cool. We had like almost different top fives. We have overlap though, like I think twice. But those are all really awesome song choices. I mean, really... Uh, any song you pick from this album in your top five is going to be just amazing. And what about for side B? So for side B, my top fives were Crown, Savior, Mr. Morale, Mother I Sober, and Auntie Diaries. Great choices. For my personal favorites on side B, no particular order, would be Count Me Out, Crown, Savior, Auntie Diaries, and I really loved Mirror. I love yeah, the... Yeah, Mirror is an amazing one, too. The opening track, Uniting Grief, and the closing track with Mirror really did uh, a tremendous job on opening yeah. and closing this album. Yeah, and I'm glad that that, that happened. You know how I am with uh, opening and closing songs. I really love it when both of those really just bring the album full circle and just give it a proper feeling, you know? Because when you've got a closing track and it's not up to par with you know, maybe the opening or even the middle of the album, it just feels unfinished or it feels a little underwhelming. So I'm glad that uh, this is yet another album where I can say that the artist stuck the landing by the end. So there you have it, you guys. That is our review of Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. Kendrick does it again. I really, truly believe that he's one of the greatest lyricists of all time. Yeah, definitely one of the greatest artists of our times for sure. Yeah, so with that being said, we want to know how you guys felt about this album. Did you enjoy it? Was it not your thing? Were you able to listen to it all the way through? If so, what were some of your favorite tracks? What tracks were your least favorite that you just couldn't get into? We want to know it all, you guys. Make sure you head on over to www.musicmattersmedia.com and let us know over there. And don't forget to follow us on social media. We are on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube. We're on it all, you guys, at Music Matters Media. And we'll see you in the next one. Cheers to us, Eric. 90 episodes of the Music Matters Media Show. So awesome, man. And you know what? Since time flies by so quick, we'll see you for number 100. See you for 100.